guys. Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Welcome back to the podcast, episode nine of season four. Thank you so much for joining us, listening every week. I love hearing from you guys when you're enjoying the episodes. And I love hearing that you're learning a lot about people in wine, even in these crazy times. That's why we're here. That's what we do. And we're going to keep telling the great stories of inspiring people. My episode today is Across the Ocean. I had a chance to talk to somebody who connects with people all over the world through wine communication skills. This is Nikki Dickerson. She lives in Bone in Burgundy in France. She's a wine writer, communication strategist, but she also has a ton of experience working in cellars and working at wineries all over the world. She's lived in South Australia, California, Italy, and now she's in Burgundy. Her travel, her lifestyle, all of that goes into this expertise with digital marketing and helping people understand wine and love wine and get to know the people of wine. So it is just a really fun conversation. You're going to want to go to Burgundy the minute that you stop listening. It's just a beautiful place with incredible wines. I am doing a lot of sharing about Burgundy and French wines in general through my private events right now. Virtually, I'm also starting to do a few more in-person private client events in Atlanta where I'm located. So things are just moving forward in a beautiful way. I'm thrilled to meet so many great people through wine. So we're going to keep doing that. Enjoy this episode. Get to know Nikki. Check out our blog. Follow her beautiful pictures on Instagram if you want to feel like you are escaping to France. She's your girl. Enjoy the episode. Talk to you next week. So great to see you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I think I drank my wine last night strategically because I was planning to have you on the show. I think I was already in the mindset of Burgundy. So I had some Chambol Moussigny last night. I think I was mentally getting ready to have you. That's nice. I mean, you probably have more experience with Burgundy than I do because even being here, it's been like such a different experience than I think in normal years, unfortunately, with the pandemic. And so many things being closed here. I feel like we haven't gotten the full Burgundy experience. So hopefully that will change. Soon enough, you will be out exploring. I feel it. I'm honored to have you because I started following your work on Instagram with your Aromas in Wine series. You had such fun photographs with like, you know, pencils sticking out of the wine glass, a black pepper grinder over the Syrah. Like I loved what you were doing. And then it was really great because I was like, wow, so much more that you create and do beyond the Instagram page. It's incredible. Thanks. Thank you so much. That was actually a really fun series. That was my like first pandemic project was doing that weekly. And it had it was really well received. But I mean, yeah, I started my wine blog to what year are we in now? 2021, almost three years ago when I started getting into wine and got moved to Paso Robles to get into the wine industry. So it's definitely taken me a long way since I started. The blog is fantastic. It's it's eye-catching by the photography and also just the content-wise. It's really fun to explore. So it was kind of like I knew I liked what you were doing on Instagram. And then it like layers beyond that. It was fun to explore what you do, but have you always 
enjoyed writing? Obviously you love wine, but did love for writing come first? Yeah, definitely. I've always been a writer. Like English was always my favorite subject throughout high school, throughout college, and just like writing at home just for fun. Like most people don't write for fun, but that was something <laughs> I enjoyed doing. And then I got into wine kind of by fate. We're, I'm from Southern California originally, and my parents had moved to Washington and then couldn't handle all of the rain and the clouds all the time and wanted a nice place in the sun. And they bought a home in Paso Robles in Central Coast, California. And so I started going up there when I was living in LA once a month and then every other weekend and then every weekend because it was just so fun. That's how I started getting into wine was just wine tasting in Paso. Wow. So it really was this love of writing in your downtime, in your leisure time, but then wine was layered on top of that because of where you lived and with your family. Do you remember that first official publication that you landed with wine? What was it and who was it for? The first was, let's see, I don't know. I mean, I started writing for the Vintner Project, which is kind of like they have a lot of contributors that write for their site. And I think the first piece was about my seller hand experience in Australia, because my now husband and I had gone to Australia to work a vintage there after meeting in California. I think the first big, big one that I landed would be with Wine Folly, which was exciting. They had put out, I guess you'd say a call for contributors for doing, and we had to do like a video, a quick one or two minute video, and they selected me. And I think it was just because I had that international wine experience under my belt. And then of course I had my blog that I had been working on for over a year, maybe over two years at that time. So I, I had a little bit of a portfolio behind my back and then also the experience. So it really took off from there. That must have been such a rewarding feeling. You have experience living all over the world for wine, writing about wine, and then someone recognizes it and says, you know, I'm going to publish this for you. What an incredible feeling. It was really the best. I actually was at my, staying at my friends who I was visiting in San Diego at the time, because it was right after we'd gotten back from Australia. And I remember when (laughs) Madeline messaged me like, we, we, I want to talk to you on the phone so we can like get you in the mix. It was like, what? It was the most exciting feeling. And it was huge for my blog too, because just the amount of traffic that Wine Folly gets on their website, even to have, once your work is on there, you're getting so many more eyes on what you're doing. And it was a big game changer for my wine blog as well. Extreme game changer. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think about it too, you know, living where I do in Atlanta, a lot of fellow wine professionals, we use Wine Folly all the time for communicating with our customers, with our clients. We yeah. reference the materials. So it is a global connector for wine through that platform. So that's an accomplishment to be a part of that. So congratulations on that. I didn't know it started with a little video message though. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's how it started. Most people don't know that. And they do have quite a few contributors on their website and I think they accept pitches regularly. So for anyone that's listening, if you want to get into wine writing, the way to do it is just to start pitching outlets. So what do you like writing about now topic wise for the blog and for clients? What are the topics that resonate with you that you enjoy writing about for wine? I love how, first of all, like wine and people, how wine connects people, but also wine and travel, because I'm a big travel enthusiast. Obviously, I'm living abroad in Burgundy. Um, And I love writing about Italy, because Italy is, I think, my favorite country as far as wine goes, and also travel. I had studied abroad there when I was in college in Florence. And that is also when I first started dabbling in wine, the very, very first love affair with wine began then. So I think 
those are probably my biggest topics. My husband's also Italian. <laughs> He's from Sardinia. So for our clients and for, I work at um, a marketing, a digital marketing and PR agency in the wine industry as well. And so whenever we have an Italy topic, she's like, you're writing about this. I know that this is what you want to do. I'm like, perfect. You love Italian wine and you love an Italian person. This all makes sense to me. (laughs) It all makes sense. I also dig on, if you've checked out my blog, you know, like I love rare varieties and the lesser known wines of the world. And I love that there are still so many producers out there that are keeping these indigenous varieties thriving, even though they're not so big on the commercial market yet. But I think there's kind of a trend happening in the wine industry right now where people are seeking out the more unique wines, definitely from smaller producers, but... I see that like as a rising trend that's going to continue. And people aren't so much interested in the Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah and Chardonnay, the traditional varieties. People are wanting something a little bit more unique. So we'll see where that goes. And you're able to make those regions and those grapes come to life for your readers and for your audience. So you do a great job with that type of content. And I love it through the writing. But tell me about your current role as a content director. You mentioned the agency that you work for. You're working in Burgundy, I'm guessing remotely with a worldwide clientele, or what do you what do you currently yeah. do for them? So Terravine Agency, it's pretty boutique, founded by an American advanced sommelier. Her name's Aubrey Terrazas, and she lives in France also. So we're two Americans living in France. She lives in Lyon, and we do have an international clientele as far as uh, the content director role. I am able to, again, combine my love of wine and writing because I do all of the writing for client social media, email marketing, client blogs. What else? We do public relations. So I'm doing a lot of guest pitches and guest posts for clients on different media websites. So it was kind of like, and she found me because of my blog and my social media. So everything just snowballed when I decided what I wanted to do and went after it from a passion perspective because I worked in PR and marketing before, but I was missing that piece of what I'm really passionate about and wine. As soon as I went for wine, everything kind of just started coming together. This sounds like it blends not only your interests, but your skills as well. And I'm thinking that this digital marketing world, you must have an incredible perspective on what that's doing for wine. What is happening in the wine industry with technology? How is it being used and with the digital world? You know, it's interesting, the timing now at post, well, we still are in COVID, but post pandemic, that has totally changed the game for the digital world in the realm of wine. I can say even just compared to like a European and American perspective, in America, we're much more open to the idea of digital marketing, right? Or working with influencers. We know the importance of having an online presence for your brand, but I feel like in Europe, There were a lot of companies doing that, but now when they lost their traditional sales mechanisms, you know, with importers, with restaurants closed, they realized like, oh, we need this other outlet. We need this other space to have an audience. And even some of the bigger wineries here didn't have that here in Burgundy. And I was talking to one of the, he's like the head of the import exports for sales. And he was saying, oh, now I have an intern helping with my social media and we're doing all of these interviews uh, on Instagram live. So I definitely think the pandemic accelerated what was already happening in digital marketing for the wine industry. And it's interesting also because one of our clients is Palette Club. One of Tara Vine's clients is Palette Club and they're using, and there's a ton of wine clubs and wine brands doing this, using taste matching technology to Mm. match 
club members with the right wines for their taste, but it's all artificial intelligence, right? It's the same thing on like Spotify. When you get music recommended to you, it's the same idea, but now people are using it in the world of wine. I can think of a lot of examples. This is such an interesting topic. To well, me. And I feel like you are involved with a lot of those aspects, but it has accelerated during this time of being connected. Like here we are on Zoom across the ocean with each other right now. I mean, it's just, but it's, it's normal. And so there's ways to connect with winemakers now in France, in these regions where we all want to travel, but can't right now. And you yeah. can connect with them. And that's a new thing. When I was traveling to Burgundy, some of the wineries didn't have websites even, Nikki. So I think that there's a new awakening of how that connects you with new people. Totally. I agree completely. And I mean, even like virtual tastings, for example, that was a necessity. I, I saw a statistic. I don't remember what platform I was reading it on, but they were saying from 2018 to 2019 in direct-to-consumer sales in the wine industry, there was a 4% increase. And from 2020 over 2019, it was like a 27% direct-to-consumer sales increase. So that just means that wineries really needed a way to stay connected with their customers, right? Because yeah, people are buying your wine, but you want to make sure you're representing your brand well. So this huge boom in virtual tasting has happened. Some better than others, I will admit, but I think that's going to be something that's here to stay because like you said, people still can't travel as easily. People aren't maybe even willing to travel as much to get to wine country to have these experiences. So I think that brands that really stick in that realm and perfect it, like Farniente, Nickel and Nickel Winery in California has done a fantastic job. And I think that they've seen a big increase in their sales last year just from their virtual tasting program alone. So it'll be interesting to see like what brands decide what direction to go with their digital marketing because there's so many options. You don't have to do everything. You can just pick what works best for you and for your size business and for where you want to go with your business. And you're living right in the thick of it. You're going to see yeah. that all evolve as this happens. You're going to learn those new skills. Yeah. I'm thinking that your travels and the type of content that you create and produce shows me that you are one of those people that just truly loves wine, like everything about wine. It's like your life, your travels, what you eat, where you go, like all of that is wrapped up in it. But what gave you that courage to leap into the industry officially? Because I know you said you had a nine-year career in public yeah. relations, marketing, non-wine. What do you think it was that got you that that next step, like I'm going to commit full time to this love. I know exactly what it was because it was here in France. I had gone to the Southern Rhone Valley with one of my best friends from California. I had gone to Croatia for a friend's wedding and then I'm like, oh, I just read Julia Child's memoir. I'm like, we need to go to France. And so we go that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to go to the Southern Rhone Valley because with the Paso Robles connection, there's so many Rhone varieties in Paso. So I'm like, oh, I need to see what this is all about. We went on a killer tour with this wine guide. It was just me, my friend, and another couple. His Mike's Wine Safari, if you're ever in Southern Rhone Valley, you have to take a tour with this guy. And he was so passionate and knew so much. And we went in the cellars and tasted from barrels and met the winemakers. It was just like the full-on authentic French wine experience. And after that, I'm like, okay, this is... This is what I want to do because I'd always loved cooking for a long time. I played around with the idea of like having a catering company or becoming a chef. And I decided that wasn't for me. And then I'm like, oh, food blog. I don't know. And then wine just fell into my lap and it really 
it combines all my favorite things in life. You can have the food connection, the travel connection with people and being, I have worked in the hospitality industry as well. So it was just fate. And then I met my husband working in a winery and he's a winemaker. So my life really is all, all about wine. Yeah, you said it. <laughs> Every aspect is now revolving around wine. But do you still drink those Southern Rhones? Are you a Rhone lover because of that being the spark? I'm always, I will always be a Rhone lover. Chateauneuf du Pop is always top, top wines for me. My husband just had his birthday and the winemaker, the director at his winery came and brought him a Chateau Rayaz. I always pronounce it wrong. Yeah, yeah. 2008. Oh, like we're saving that for a while. And we drank um, Perrin family, family Perrin, who has Tabas yes. Creek and Paso Robles. He brought one of their old wines over from the sun. I'm like, I can never get, I'll never get past the Rhone Valley. My new discovery is Loire Valley because we just went there for when we could still travel around briefly here in France. Went for a really fast weekend, which was like a four hour drive there and back, but so worth it. We want to go back and spend a week there whenever we can because the wines were fantastic. And what a different world, but drivable. Like you can go from these regions that are next door and have totally different experience with the wine, the people, the landscape, all of that. And I think that your global perspective comes through in everything you do. So I kind of want to hear more about that of what does living in places that revolve around wine, like Paso, like South Australia, like Italy, what does that do for your understanding and for your wine studies? I mean, it's interesting because they're all very different, but yet they're all kind of the same. Like Paso Robles was a smaller community. Obviously, if you go to like Napa or Sonoma, it's much more commercial and maybe more of a well-known destination. And from Paso, we I went to South Australia and McLaren Vale, which those two experiences were very defining for me because where I worked in Paso was a boutique winery. Working for Harvest in the Cellar it was a hands-on experience, getting to do every single thing, inoculating wines, racking wines, pressing, I mean, everything. We got to do it all, which was great. When we went to South Australia, to give you like an idea, in Paso for Harvest, we crushed, I think, 320 tons of fruit. And at the winery I worked at in Australia was a custom crush facility where we crushed like 3,600 tons wow. within the same amount of time for harvest. It was much more industrial, massive, just doing like 40 pump overs a day, exhausting, worked day and night shifts. So having those two experiences alone really gave me a good idea. Like when you're buying a boutique wine and you're paying $60 for a bottle, that's why, because there is so much more care and attention to detail and work put into every step from pruning in the winter to crushing in the next fall during harvest. It's crazy the amount of work that goes into a single bottle of wine. So that first experience in Paso really opened my eyes to that. And for that, I think being able to travel to different wine regions, you go into it having that appreciation for the work that the winemakers are doing, that every person in every aspect of the industry is doing. So I think it's, I don't know, I think in the wine industry, if you go into it with an appreciation for these workers, like it's people behind the bottle. And that's helped me connect a lot with people in different cultures around the world doing the same thing, because that's why they do it. I mean, they're in love with the art of making wine and like that constant challenge of matching the science with the human component with what mother nature gives you. The way that wine knowledge goes across 
cultures and languages and climates and all of that. It is really a bonding experience. No matter where you are in the world, you can use wine to connect with people. And you do that effortlessly, which is really neat to see across all the regions. It's like the vocabulary and the love for wine stays the same. And the way that you study wine, you know, for me, it's like, no matter what the region is, I have the same interest in wanting to know what happens in the growing cycle. Right. What what are the people eating? What are they doing during the day? I mean, it it all evolves to the place. What are the hardest parts about cellar work and things that you just talked about with working at the winery that people yeah. don't usually think about? I think people don't think about how much work it actually takes to grow quality grapes. And I think that's one thing that I've learned the most being here in Burgundy because the wineries don't do a lot in the actual winery, most of them in the winery themselves. A lot of it is done out in the vineyard. And to give you an example, Marco works at Vincent, my husband works at Vincent Girardin, which is a pretty big scale winery. It's part of the Boisset collection, I believe. And the head of the winery is out there in the vineyards every day working with them. So, I mean, that's why it was so heartbreaking when all the frosts happened just now in Burgundy. And we went out and walked in the vineyards today and it's it's sad how many of the buds are not going to make it. But no. the amount of work that it takes to actually grow grapes from when you're selecting your clones to when you're doing harvest years and years later is has been mind-boggling for me. Working in the cellar, I mean, you got to give props to the cellar workers, especially during harvest. I think in Australia, like working 12-hour shifts, I've never worked night shifts before I went and worked harvest in Australia was crazy. And you don't think about the cleaning. <laughs> like Cleaning a cellar, if you're working for a good winery, they have an immaculate cellar and you clean before you fill any tank, before you pump any juice, you clean every pump, you clean every corner of the tank to make sure that the final wine is there. So the cleaning, I think, is something that people don't think about so much when you're thinking about winemaking. But And it's dirty work. So the cleaning... <laughs> It's not just like cleaning, like, oh, I'm just cooking in my kitchen, which can be dirty, I guess, too. But <laughs> but sticky, messy, staining everywhere. So that is a huge part of just the process to make sure everything's ready to receive the grapes and produce the wine to the quality exactly. that you're expecting. So it's hard work. It is not a uh, not as not as glamorous as some people think it is all the time. No. I think it gets romanticized and rightfully so because wine is a magnificent thing, but I think when you meet a winemaker, they've worked their whole careers, even from before they were winemakers, working crazy hours. Marco, for example, was just leaving our apartment at two in the morning to go light all of the candles that they had out in the vineyards in Burgundy when we had those really low temperatures, working from two in the morning, coming home at 5 p.m. the next day, and then going back out and doing it again. So I think if you want to work in wine, you really need it a passion for it and also a respect for nature because you can work as hard as you want <laughs> nature can come in and wipe it out with a couple of cold nights so that, that's what makes it interesting it's that connection to nature also and you're giving a window to that industry to that process from where you are right now in burgundy i appreciated your videos and status updates about the frost situation. I learned a lot from just watching you. You have the tools now to show people a window into your world. But what are some of the skills that you take from kind of the pre-wine life in, in a career 
you're now communicating about wine. How do you adapt your vocabulary about wine and what skills are important to do that? I think people get intimidated by wine because of the vocabulary, right? Like they think they need to know every single term on a label or every technical term. And that's not necessarily true. Like I think from my PR and marketing background, being able like that's about storytelling, right? Like when you're promoting a brand, you're telling their story. So that's kind of what I try to take into all of my wine talk, into all of my social media and my blogging is that it's about the story of the winery or the story of the place because that's accessible to anyone. And wine is accessible to anyone. I think I try to remove the intimidation factor in the world of wine because I think once you start tasting wine, and experiencing wine, that's the best way to learn about it. That's how I learned about it. I went and worked in cellars and picked it up from there. It wasn't like I had some massive wine education to get into it. If you want to get into wine, just do it. Just like anything else, just start doing it. And so that's what I try to make easier through how I communicate. It's a really unique skill to be able to do that, to communicate across cultures, again, because your work is global, technically. I mean, anybody can log on and see what you're doing and you're writing for all these multiple audiences. So that's a great point about pulling away the barriers that people may perceive are there, even if they're not there, pulling away those perceived barriers. And how do you use your formal study of wine to then back up a lot of these things? You are currently studying for your W set. So what does the formal education add to what you're doing? For me, it makes me feel more official because anyone can go on the internet and say anything, right? But doing a formal wine study brings confidence. And I think it brings more trust from the people who are reading your content. I wanted to do the W set because it was interesting to me. And now I'm studying W set three to kind of go deeper. And I think it helps to close the gap of what we were talking about before from like a newbie to becoming more of a connoisseur. I don't know. I don't like to portray myself as like some, I don't know what the right word is. Like, I don't consider myself a connoisseur, even though other <laughs> might people, other people might consider me a connoisseur because I'm just drinking wine, learning what I like about wine and sharing it with people. And I think that's why people find me relatable or for what you're saying is because I, I try to eliminate that barrier to entry. But for the formal education, I mean, it's fun to share the knowledge of wine because the more I learn about wine, the more I want to keep learning, the more I love wine. Because as you know, and I'm sure you've studied a lot of wine too, the little bit that you study, you just, there's so much, you can study as much as you want and there's still so much to learn. So I think like the formal education helps me to just spread the wine message in general. It's a never-ending rabbit hole, <laughs> which is like, why do we do this to ourselves, Nick? Why do we? Why do we? That's keep what I've been something? thinking when I've been studying W set three too. I'm like, wow, why? Why am I doing this? Because it is like a lot of information you need to be able to recall for the exam, but it is so interesting to me still. And I'm bummed because we keep having to postpone our W set three because of the COVID restrictions. But it's also been nice because I get more time to study because I was not as prepared as I would have liked to be for the last exam. So more time to keep learning and prep. You'll be totally ready when it's time. But you're living in Burgundy. You're living in a place that many people that love wine, it's like top of their bucket list to go and just see these iconic places. So you're living there. What is that like for you to be walking the streets, 
going by these places that are just, you know, people read about and worship across the world of wine, you're seeing them in person. What have you learned living in Burgundy that you may not have expected to learn while you were there? I feel super lucky, first of all, to be here because like you said, it's such an iconic place for wine lovers, right? We haven't gotten to go to a lot of wineries, but we have gone into a lot of vineyards. And like I was saying before in Burgundy, I mean, the wine is really made in the vineyard. You have two main varieties here, right? The magic happens with where they grow. So it's been a really great experience to be able to go to different vineyard sites, look at the aspect, see the soils, all of these little details that you can't, you can't get that from a book. You get it from a place. So I think for me, just really being able to grasp what people mean when they say terroir in Burgundy has been really special. And getting to meet producers. I mean, we haven't gotten to go to a lot of tastings, but I'm lucky because of where my husband works, I've gotten to taste some fantastic wines. And we went and tasted at uh, Vincent Giraudon, their 2020 vintage from barrel, every single Chardonnay. So we got to, yeah, it was unreal. I think experiences like that, I'm so thankful for. And that's what really makes me love wine because you really realize how special each individual barrel or bottle is. It's pretty fantastic. I'm excited for summer when things are open (laughs) again and we can actually explore. I've never been in summer or warm temperatures. My experience bundled up some snowy vineyards and just huddled in a cellar somewhere trying to keep warm and drink good wine. That's pretty much what I know, but I love it and I can't wait to come back. So the cool part about your story and your journey with wine is that now it is with your husband. You guys share this not only career, but I'm sure it's also a hobby. It's also your entertainment. So what's it like to share such a common love for wine with your spouse? It's pretty spectacular. We're like in the process of, he's from Sardinia, I think I told you. And we're in the process of planning to plant a vineyard in Sardinia where his family has property. And I mean, it's going to be like a couple years from now, but because in Italy, you need to get certain approvals for the land. Things are more regulated there, of course. So that's starting. And it's amazing to have that shared passion because not only like you said it's for work yeah and we want to make our own business and wine together but in Italy too it's a cultural thing because his family is all into wine his dad makes their own wine every year it's normal in Italy for each family to have their own small vineyard and make their own wines what are they making what what grapes they make Cannonau and then a couple of like Bovale Sardo which is I forget. It's Bovale is the name in Sardinia. Canulari. It's all all varieties in Sardinia, which is why I started my rare variety series, by the way. It was because I was in Sardinia and I'm like, what are these grapes? They have a white variety called Arvizniadu, which is a mouthful, but it's delicious. It's like super high acidity, really fresh. Um, They don't have any international, maybe a little Sangiovese in the vineyard. So that's what you get from the family experience is growing these grapes and it is part of their life and you're going to join that. You are planting a vineyard. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. We want to, Marco and I want to have our own winery eventually. Not not, nothing huge, something small and like a passion project, but also of course for work. And then we both want to get into the import side of the business. I think that's going to be the next big adventure. That's something I've had my heart set on since I met this woman, when I was living in Paso, who had her own business like this, I talked to her about it. I'm like, I think this is where I want to go because it combines the international connection, the travel, wine, of course, and my business background. So 
that's somewhere in the works. <laughs> I would trust your palate as an importer. I would trust that. I would be very curious to see what you would have in your portfolio. So please make that happen. That would be wonderful. Thank you. I mean, now too, it's like, it'll be interesting to see what happens when things open up again. Like if the three tier system is going to be so prominent, because I feel like so many platforms in the last year for selling wine online direct to consumer has popped up. So I'm interested to see how I could combine that with the import aspect of the business. I feel like we're in interesting times for the wine industry. And who knows where this all will take us, but I have a hope that it'll be for the better. That's where I sit right now of, yes, there's a lot of change, but I'm hopeful that it will do a lot for connecting people to wines and people. And that if that's the focus of things, then I am all here for it. I totally agree. I have a friend, the wine nerd. Oh, yes. Yep. I've been hearing about her project. Yes. Yeah. That project was uh, born from the pandemic and I think that's going to be huge as well. So it's nice to see called Vinebase for anyone listening if you want to check it out. I believe it's the platform where she's connecting small producers directly with the consumer. I so. recently chatted with her and this might be something too I'm curious about in France if what you've what you've seen by living there but one of the things that I talked to her about on the platform is that the filters that for searching for certain wines and being able to say, you know, I want a woman-owned winery. I would like it to be, you know, biodynamic or she's tagging these small producers with characteristics that people might be interested in filtering. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about that of women-owned wineries in Burgundy. What have you seen? Is that something that people ask you about? Not as much, honestly. I mean, I feel like it's definitely become a more prominent focus in the last couple of years. Like I've seen a lot of articles or on social media in general where they are putting forward women-owned wineries. I think it's something that is going to be on the rise. I feel like America is here and Europe is coming up right behind them because in Italy as well, I mean, there's a ton of women-owned wineries. And I think that's something that's being spoken about much more, both in the digital space and in press in general. It's exciting to be able to give consumers the tools to find the types of people they want to support, which is really great. Yeah. Where have you not been yet that you want to go? I'm thinking about your inventory of places that you've lived or studied. <laughs> and I'm thinking, where do you go from here? Where's where's on the list that you're like, I love those wines, but haven't been? Greece is definitely, definitely the top of my list right now. My mom's side of the family is Greek. I know I have some distant relatives that I've never met living in Greece. And I really want to take my mom because she speaks Greek, but I love Greek wines. And there is such diversity available in Greece as far as wines go. And I mean, who doesn't want to go to Greek islands? That sounds pretty fantastic right now. So that's probably at the top of my list. I want to go through Italy. I want to do like a road trip through Italy from Piemonte down to the tip. I've never been to Piemonte. That's also at the top of my list because Ooh. I love wines from there. And Marco has a couple friends that live there and work there. And so that's not too far from Burgundy. That's about a four hour drive. So as soon as we can move around freely here again, we're going to be going. That is beautiful. Knowing somebody there is step one. That makes it more accessible. Let's go pack up the car and go. Yeah. I'm excited to see where you go to next, not only on your travels to share out through your platform, but these ideas with the import and the vineyard itself and just having a global perspective in everything you do. It's exciting to see how that will unfold. 
Where can people find out more about you? What's the best way to connect with you? Connect with me on my blog is probably the best spot because I have all my social media handles there. It's palmandvine.com, palm like the palm tree. And stay tuned for a lot more content coming from Burgundy. I'm really hoping to get into a lot more wineries here because that's been one thing I feel like that I've been missing is actually going out and going wine tasting. So stay tuned for an inside look at Burgundy. And I'm also starting my rare variety series again soon. Excellent. Cannot wait. Cannot wait to live vicariously. Come here. Just come here. And then I'll come there. Um, (laughs) Yes. Come there. I miss the stone streets. I miss the daily croissants. I miss it all. I just do. It's just a beautiful place and it is all about the people. So you remind us through your content that it is people and farming that drive the beauty of that place. So I appreciate that a lot and I can't wait to come visit. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It's been Thank fun. Thank you. Cheers to you. Thanks, Kelly. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at, at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers. <laughs>